Thank you for joining us in Season 2 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel, shalom. Howdy, Rabbi Eric. What's up, man? You tell me. Happy Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, today's Wednesday. <laughs> right. It is just the middle of November, and it is it's warm. Even though I'm on the eastern shore of Maryland, it feels like a an August kind of afternoon. Something is climate change is real, Dadgummit. I'm <laughs> climate change is absolutely real. Yes, uh, it's Athens has been. Get it, having these days where we're like 40 degrees in the morning and then 75 five hours later. It is crazy, which also means that I lose a lot of jackets. <laughs> because you need them in the morning and then you leave them somewhere and totally Ex- forget. That is exactly right. And it is so frustrating. But <laughs> that is neither here nor there. That is my own personal problem and not necessarily a religious one. They will find their way home. Mm. If you love it, set it free. Around this time every year, I start to get uh, a little panicky. I don't because I don't know if it feels like this for you, but that high holy day sprint that you went through as I start approaching Advent and Christmas and the new year, I uh, I feel like I'm not ready. I every morning I feel like I'm just not ready enough. I'm not ready enough. I'm not prepared enough. Um, I I don't know if that makes sense, but if you hear that in my voice today, it is because Advent is just around the corner, and I am starting to fear that I'm not ready. One might say it's the Advent of Advent. Okay, let's continue on. Let's talk about zealotry. That is our topic for today, um, and, and I don't know if people get it, but is you and I, as we were imagining problematic text, zealotry is a problem to you and me. Why is zealotry a problem? Well, it's zealotry, you know, it's interesting, Joel, I was thinking about this earlier, is it's kind of, it's similar, and I'm not making meaning, making light of something that's very serious, but it's similar to me to the concept of terrorism in the sense of it's a matter of perspective of who is a zealot and who is righteous or who is not righteous. So when you're the person doing the quote unquote zealotry, everyone else is in the wrong. Where everyone else thinks that you are, oh my gosh, this person's a, a, a zealot, a nut, a crazy person. Um, so it really is a matter of perspectives. And I make that comparison. Again, I'm not taking it lightly at all. Um, but many terrorists think that they're doing holy things. And so, um, you know, it, it is very much kind of in the eye of the beholder. Now, that's not to say that we don't have op- opinions and that, you know, it's definitely not just relativism all the way down. Um, but uh, it's it's problematic just on that level. Yeah, thanks. That's that's helpful. Um, there's something about zealotry that can be positive, right? It, if by zealotry we mean passionate, invested, committed, Right. Those aren't negative words. We we kind of like those. Those are positives. And if we had a friend who was passionate and committed to us, we'd be pumped. Um, 
And zealotry, though, implies kind of a negative. There is something about zealotry when we say it. It's passion gone awry. It's like blind passion. It's a passion that is no longer self-aware. Um, or it's a commitment that is so committed that you can no longer learn something. You no longer have a sense of your impact on others. Or maybe you do have a sense and you just don't care. There's zealotry has this angle to it that um, feels uh, individualistic at the expense of the greater community. I don't know if that's a fair way to say it. Yeah, no, I mean, that that certainly resonates with me. I mean, it, you know, I think about that, you know, distinction uh, of where does passion and zealotry, of course, isn't a word that's used, you know, in everyday speech, right? We talk about, I, I think sometimes we, we substitute crazy for zealotry in, in just common parlance. But in religious parlance, and certainly historically, being a zealot was a good thing. Right. You have zeal. You, you are completely devoted to your God, your religion, your cause. Um, you know, for me, I think where I would draw the line is where, the, where one's actions, it become is more univ, uh, sorry, is more individual and not as universal in the sense of it's not my religion that's telling me to do this, or it's not religious law, but rather it's my somewhat unique interpretation of the law, which is why I always say, you know, no, no one should be two truths at the same time. At the one hand, no one should be a cognitive minority of one in that, you know, it's like the, the lone gunman from, you know, the JFK assassination. Like we, we, you need a team that thinks similarly and if you are the outlier, um, you know, there is something to be said for individualism in religion. And I, I think a lot of Judaism's um, new ideas came from came from individuals that thought differently. I mean, starting with Abraham, right? Um, having one God instead of many gods. Uh, but it, it requires like and you talked about kind of a um, a, uh, a thoughtfulness about it that I think it is not as required when it's the common practice. Um, so, you, you know, even before we get into texts, kind of teasing that out of, you know, what is kind of a, what I'll call a regular religious act and what is a zealous one. Um, I'll say one more thing and then I'll, I'll stop talking. I had a lot of coffee and caffeine today, so <laughs> I'm probably talking faster than normal. Maybe you could do... You could do one of your fancy audio tricks and slow me down. <laughs> um, but in Judaism, there's this beautiful idea. So we have a mitzvah, which means commandment. And then we have this idea of beautifying the mitzvah. And it, it's kind of like, okay, if you do the mitzvah, you know, you, you get a check mark. You did it. But then there's kind of like extra credit if you somehow enhance it in some way. So one very common and modern example of this is on Hanukkah, you know, lots of families have these beautiful decorative menorahs that, you know, maybe they bought in Israel or they bought on a special trip or vacation and they really mean something to the family. Well, the mitzvah itself is just to light candles. I mean, you could do it in anything, but you're really beautifying the mitzvah by doing that. 
And if we take this concept to, you know, it's, it's, conclusion, even though it may be uh, extravagant or it may be extreme, is that's what zealotry is, is where there's a hint that there's a kernel somewhere of religious teaching and ideology, but it's taken to such an extreme point, whereas you might think it's actually beautifying the mitzvah, whereas we might think, no, you're actually desecrating it. Ouch. Yeah, I guess there's as you as you've talked right you've used this core root word zeal a lot and i'm listening to you and realizing zeal is a positive thing but to be a zealot isn't and to be zealous it sounds like a positive thing but zealotry isn't and so there has to be something about this core zeal that is a positive it, there's something holy there there's something like you were just saying there, there's there's got to be something that's based in who God is and what God wants and and God's vision for the world. But then to be a zealot or, or zealotrous or to practice zealotry means to take it beyond, take it too far. And and I wonder how can, how do we know the difference between an individual who's being a prophet, say. And holding the wider community to an honest interpretation of what God wants through a prophet's zeal versus a zealot who has a whiff of something that might be true about God, but then is distorting it and damaging the community with their zealotry. I mean, I think that is the million-dollar question. It really is. Because no one thinks that they're the zealot. It's everyone else who's doing wrong. So, you know, the prophets thought the community was in need of repair, but the community oftentimes just did not like the prophets. I mean, you've talked about this with Jesus, right? And so um, depending on what, what side you're on, so to speak, um, is how you define it. You know, I'll, I'll give, if it's okay to jump into text, I'll Please. share kind of the, the, the text that I think of. Um, and there are, you know, more than one, certainly, but it is the story of Pinchas. So Pinchas is, is the name of a Torah portion. And of course, it that means it begins, one of its first words have to do with Pinchas. And I'm just going to read in English um, the first uh, words of this Torah portion. Pinchas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron the priest, Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron, has turned back my wrath from the Israelites by displaying among them his passion for me. You could substitute zeal. And because of that, I did not wipe out the Israelite people in my passion. Say, therefore, I grant him my pact of friendship. It shall be for him and his descendants after him a pact of priesthood for all time, yada, yada, yada. That all sounds great. And of course, it begs the question, oh my gosh, well, what did he do? Well, what he did wasn't so great, at least in my eyes. Sure, in, in, in the author's eyes that wrote the Torah portion, uh, it, yes, it is. But Pinchas kills one of his brethren, an, uh, an Israelite, because he is having intercourse, a relationship with a non-Jewish woman which 
Pincus decides to be judge, jury, executioner on, displays his passion. Again, I'll use the word zeal. And God rewards him. And so from within that, this is a good thing. But of course, we, and when I say we, I mean you and I, and hopefully others listening, but do not see that as, as a good thing. You're in like Numbers or Deuteronomy for that story somewhere, right? Yeah, I, I'll give the, the chapter. It's Numbers 25. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I think sometimes in English we call him Phineas. I don't know why. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so well, it, the, we Greek Because I think it. in English <laughs> in English, we don't have the ch sound, you know, the phlegmy guttural. Uh-huh. And so a lot of those sounds, instead of pinches, it's there's an H in there. That happens a lot of times. Yeah. So so his zeal or, or um, his zeal for God, meaning for his assumption of what is good and what is right in God's law, hey – um, who you have a relationship with matters to God. He takes that um, assumption and understanding and he takes into his own body the right to act out against other humans in a way to put his assumption of punishment, God's punishment on them personally. And that's where like zeal becomes zealotry to me. He he turns the page too far. And you see it in scripture all the time though, where somebody who really believes they've got God figured out, they know what God wants and what God doesn't want, they they take that zeal and they turn it into dangerous, harmful, even violent zealotry against other children of God. And absolutely. Oof. And you know, when I preach this portion, you know, I I am in torn, not at what Pinchas did. I'm not torn about that in the slightest. But I am, you know, there, there is an aspect of him that I think deserves praise of a certain kind, which is not waiting to be told or asked to do something and having initiative. Now, it was completely the wrong kind of initiative. Um, but, you know, when we talk in religion about um, you know, repairing the world and acting holy, that, that, and like not being a bystander, for example, and taking action. I mean, Pincus did that. It just happened to be the absolute <laughs> wrong action. <laughs> There's uh, Paul as a major character in the New Testament. Um, at one point, the way he talks. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. He talks about himself um, as somebody who was uh, very uh, ardent in spirit and did not lag in zeal. So he, at first, is really trying to talk about that in a way that is complementary. But there is a place in Philippians 3 where as he is imagining his own zeal, he understands the risk of it. He says, um, as to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church, meaning he was so zealous for what he believed was right and what God wanted and what was lawful, under, meaning under the Torah, that he was willing to go attack, jail um, other people who were embodying those same principles now in a new way. And his willingness, his zeal, led him to become a zealot, 
a persecutor of mm. the church. And it's a shame, like it's a mark of shame on him as he says this, hey, there was a moment in my life <laughs> where I too was zealous, but I embodied it as zealotry. And and then it, there, so that's a way I think Paul is trying to help us differentiate the diff, um, zeal from zealotry. And it would be really neat to, uh, and of course we don't have this text, but this is what Midrash is, to see, you know, maybe 40 years later, Pinchas reflecting on this action and doing what we call tshuva, doing, um, you know, apologetic action of righteousness uh, to counteract that. Of course, we th- that's not in the Torah, but we can certainly imagine that. I mean, we all have... Uh, things that we regret doing and, and try not to do again. Um, and even, you know, taking this out of kind of the Bible, you know, I think, you know, we both have congregants that, you know, overzealous might be an adjective that we describe, right? Where, right. like, you know, they're doing wonderful things, but occasionally um, it, it's it's just like, okay, I a little less, just a little less. <laughs> well, that's I like that overzealous. Okay, it's still zeal, which is positive, but it's not zealotry, which is negative. Overzealous is this beautiful gray middle space. Um, and and what I what I imagine as you say that, and I start chuckling, is like the committee member who won't let other people try to do things in a new way. They. They all work together on the same committee, but the way we've always done it is, <laughs> and they won't let somebody else oh, yeah. play or have a turn. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's another place in Romans, uh, which is a letter of Paul's, and Paul mentions zeal again. Um, this time, it's interesting. He, he, he reminds us of the nuance. He says, um, brothers and sisters, uh, this is Romans 10, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for those other people is that they might be made whole. They might be saved um, or be given shalom, peace, wholeness. I can testify they have zeal for God, but their zeal is not enlightened. So he is differentiating there again how they um, – he sees it he, – he says they are ignorant of the righteousness that can only come from God. They keep trying to seek it and establish it on their own. So I, I love that redefinition of zeal versus zealotry. Zeal is passion, but if you go too far, you take things into your own hands. You you assume to have God's knowledge and power and judgment and being able to quickly enact it on your own without having to listen to the rest of the community. And in so doing, they're actually doing harm to themselves and the community. I, I appreciated the way uh, Paul unpacks zeal versus zealotry there. And how does one recognize that or how do you help someone recognize that? And as I say that, let me also say clergy are not immune to this. <laughs> Very much so. Oh, my right? gosh. I mean, it, probably in Scripture, I mean, I we are see, the biggest uh, perpetrators of it. I mean, I, I see it just in my own, you know, a Facebook group of, of rabbis. Um 
kind of, you know, I mean, again, it's human nature to an extent that when you believe passionately about something and you think you're right, you know, other people are wrong and you're doing the right thing. And and to have those kind of very black and white justifications for things. There's a tough text for me. It's in the New Testament and people read it a lot. Um, this There's a version in John um, where Jesus, quote, cleanses the temple. Um it was Passover time, and Jesus went to Jerusalem because he was a Jew, and uh, it was a big deal to do Passover in Jerusalem. You could do it in other places, obviously, but boy, if you were really zealous, you would travel to Jerusalem to do it together. And he, he goes to the temple, and he finds people who are selling inside the temple grounds cattle and sheep and doves, and there's money changers. And the assumption of this is that poor people brought the best they could, the best dove they could find, the best sheep they could find, the best cow they could find. And then the religious people inside would, one, reject the poor people's offering. It wasn't good enough. So then they would have to come inside, and they would also reject the money of the poor people, the money of the Greeks. And you would have to exchange your Greek money for allowable holy temple money and they would charge you a commission to make that exchange rate, and you couldn't buy as much with temple money as you could with Greek money. So if if that's what Jesus sees, he is torqued. <laughs> and it says he makes a whip out of some cords, and he begins to drive all the, quote, pure animals out of the temple so that they are cut loose and the people can have them for free. And he flips over the coin tables of the money changers. And you can just see all the temple coins and Greek coins just rolling around and the poor people just grabbing them and sticking them in their pocket. Um, and he said, stop it. You're, you're, you're making God's house a, a market. Um, and it, there's nothing about God that is for sale, right? Um, and his disciples remembered what was written about him zeal for your house will consume me. Um, now, that's an ancient prophetic phrase where supposedly the imagined Messiah will be so zealous for the holy ways, God's house, that it would consume God's Messiah. And so in that way, there is the imagination of zeal becoming zealotry that is holy and where an individual sees what is good and right better than the crowd does, better than the community does. And so an individual's calling to do something that looks woo, zealot, right, zealotry, fanatic, um, was actually the holy. Uh, but it is a danger for any individual to assume they have that much power without checking with a wider community. But sometimes the wider community needs the zealotry of an individual to wake it up. I don't know how sometimes to tell the difference. Yeah, and, uh, you know, from a historical basis, um, you know, this isn't in the Torah, um, but uh, it's in the New Testament. It's in your book, as I say. Um uh, the story of the Maccabees and Hanukkah. And I feel like we may have talked about this recently, but, you know, growing up, Jews uh, see the Maccabees as heroes. You know, basically they took 
the the temple back from the um from the Greeks and um and, and the oil in the temple would only last one night, but they, it lasted eight nights, and that's the miracle of Hanukkah, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the the story, the history, as most things are, is much more blurry than that, in that the Maccabees were also kind of against other Jews. They were against the Jews that assimilated. Now, you know, here I am as a rabbi, you know, assimilation is a mixed word. You know, is it a is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? That's not for today's discussion. Um, but there were Jews back in the first century who wanted to be completely Hellenized. And rather than just kind of live and let live, the, the Maccabees fought them. And so in some ways, uh, there was a civil war against Jews. And, you know, yes, they were they are the heroes in terms of fighting the oppressor, but they were so zealous that they that the infighting amongst Jews um, only increased. Of course, we don't learn that story as, as children, which is why I say religion is, is an adult uh, occupation or uh, you know the activity. Uh, so you know, again, you, it's like you know having a a person or a group of people, as you said, kind of take things into their own hands, which is what religion is, also, right? I mean, that's all we have, all we can do is think about what God wants us to do, what religious law wants us to do, debate it, figure it out. But ultimately, it is a human enterprise. Yeah. And um, for listeners out there, I think of the Bible as three different versions. There's the the Hebrew Scriptures. Um, then there's the New Testament. And then there's the Extended Bible, um, where that uses the deuterocanonical books or the apocrypha, um, and, and I'm not in the tradition that counts the Maccabees as scripture. Um, you you might have known that, Eric, but I don't know. Um, but it's deuterocanonical, so I study it, I learned it, I tried to understand its place, and but in the scriptures that I read or preach from, it's not there. Um, nor is Sirach, nor is um, those other books of wisdom or the Psalm 151 or some stuff. And and one thing that is really interesting about um, those deuterocanonical books is Pincus is a star of them. Um, he's in the Sirach um, where it says something like Pincus, son of Eleazar, ranks third in glory for being so zealous in his awe of the Lord. And uh, that whole Maccabee story Early in the Mac- Maccabee story, um, Mattathias burned with zeal. His heart was stirred. He gave vent to his righteous anger, and he ran and killed someone on the altar. Uh, and it says, he burned with zeal for the law, and he cried out, for anybody who's zealous like me for the law, come with me. Um, so it, it was definitely a moment of uh, division where you're either with me or you're against me. You either fight or you you be fought. You either kill or you be killed. And zealotry often looks like that. It looks like a very hard, cold line in the sand that uh, religious people draw against one another. Um, as much as we talk about it in Scripture, I see American evangelicals drawing this kind of line a lot. Um, you're, you're either um, you're either for this political candidate or you're against God. 
you're right. either against this social policy or this reform, or you're against God. Um, and I see uh, zealot, zealous religious leaders go far enough to say lines like that, as if they, oh, yeah. as, as if they know God's especially judgment. in the last four to six years. <laughs> yes, yeah, and it hasn't waned. It's only gotten worse in the last year, unfortunately. It's not like a new election undid it. Um, Absolutely, it's it's Absolutely. exacerbated it even more. I think. You know, I was thinking actually when you were speaking about you're you know you're either with us or against us. I was, I was and maybe because it's in the news right now, so it's certainly in my head. But thinking about the hearings regarding the January six, you know, domestic attack. Uh, I mean that that was a zeal, yes. right? Uh, yes. And and for them, they were being patriotic. Right. That's how it, they think that they are the true uh, patriots. Yes. Doing the right thing to keep America great and ma- and those sorts of things. Whereas we, thankfully, the majority of Americans, including people who didn't vote or I'm sorry, including people who did vote for Donald Trump, thankfully, see that as completely wrong and and outside the kind of code that we subscribe to that uh your your actions um you know your actions matter and it's not um the it's not a machiavellian world where the end justifies the means you just can't you can't do that yeah let's say that the grand system is rigged and that the whole election was stolen and ballot box were stuffed. Boxes were stuffed all across Georgia and Arizona and Michigan and Pennsylvania, and that the actual result was not the real result, but there was a grand conspiracy in the communal system. Then those few zealous people would be prophets in a way. They would be attempting to hold the corrupt community to a higher, holier standard. Um, but if the community is actually honoring its covenant promises to one another and trying to be fair and just and count every vote fairly and give no vote unfair value over any other and the results come out the way you didn't want and then you and your zealotry attack, kill, um, wow, now you're on the danger side. Uh, of it, and you won't be remembered as a prophet. You'll be remembered as, <laughs> right, um, a failed, a, a failed revolt that hurt the people and hurt the nation you thought you were trying to protect. Well, I, I mean, this is this is too far in the weeds of politics. But do you think he really thought that he was trying to protect the nation? No. Just trying yeah, to keep power, either. right? But that's You're different right. than the one who sells bad info to create zeal in others. Yes, for sure. It, and it's also different. And the reason I ask that question is because it is entirely possible for someone to want to do the right holy thing and get it wrong and just be mistaken. Yeah. 
So th- th- there's a, and that's where, again, I mean, I talk about this all the time, this cognitive minority of one thing, because it, it is so important, I think, both in terms of human nature and the communal way that Judaism is meant to be lived, that we share ideas with one another and balance them and, and bounce them off one another. And if your ideas are still different than everyone else's, so be it. But at least you've hopefully done the work of self, um, uh, I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, there's the, always that balance between confidence and humility. Like, how how sure am I about this and how passionate am I willing to be on on account of this idea or this ideology, this theology, this um, whatever, and versus how humble will I be? How open will I stay, even in my confidence, to that I might be wrong? I, I need to keep my ears and my heart open so that if someone else in my community catches me, teaches me something new, shows me something different, I will stop, I will listen, I will absorb it. Um, I think zealots have a hard time learning something new. Right? They, they take this little bit, that little bit, that little bit, that little bit. They build a system that works for them. They believe certain things. They, they have certain connections that they've made and certain truths that they have adopted as deeply true, and then they go. They start acting. They start speaking. If you show them something that is also true but doesn't fit their system, a zealot will attack you. They will reject you. They will call you a liar because you've inserted something into their ideology that doesn't fit. Um, and, right. and that's where you know, uh-oh, I'm dealing with a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I'm dealing with a, a terrorist. I'm dealing with a zealot. And uh, the opposite of zealotry, in, in a way to me, is open. Like, I, I'm really committed to this. I'm willing to argue it out with you. But if you show me something that is also true, wow, I have to pause and absorb and it. And incorporate it. And incorporate it. And it keeps me from going too far and doing harm in the name of my greater cause. That's right. So what are you zealous for lately, dude? What am I zealous for? Sleep? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you still have a, uh, a toddler. <laughs> yes. And by the way, he, he sleeps. Um, no, just it's been, a, it's been a really busy past few weeks. Well, all good things. Just lot, lots of programming, meetings, you know, the usual. Um, what am I zealous for lately? Um. We'll have to think about that. I'm reorganizing my music collection. I don't know if I'd call that a zealous project, but <laughs> it is a very time-consuming, ridiculous thing. But when I'm done, all of my music will be in Apple Music. So I can have it on my watch, my phone, my iPad, my computer. Right now, I have an 800 gigabyte music library that's on one hard drive on one computer. Um, and so I'm enmeshing it with Apple Music, going album by album. And uh, it's fun is not the word, but that it, it is what I do to relax. That's what I'm doing in the evenings. I put on some music, have a, have a you know, cocktail or something and working on that. What are you zealous about? <laughs> um, we, we, so it's hard to know like what I'm zealous for, but I, 
I notice it when other people notice me having fun doing something. And maybe around here lately, there's a group called Chester Valley Ministers Association, a lot like the the interfaith clergy group that um, you and I were a part of there in, in Athens, Georgia. There's a group here, CVMA, Chester Valley Ministers Association, and it's more than ministers. It's also nonprofit and social sectors. I, I'm a part of that, and we are building right now our interfaith Thanksgiving service, and I'm trying to <laughs> assemble the bits and pieces and parts, and um, so I'm getting to see it behind the scenes before anybody else does, and we have young and old and white and black and Christian and non-Christian and voices from such a width and breadth of of the Eastern Shore, all coming together in one place and bringing our own zeals, but trying to point to something that we all have in common. So that's that's kind of inspiring to me, and I want this to do go well. I want it to be fun for folks. Um, so I'm I'm working hard on it. <laughs> And I'm I'm having fun and and I notice it. It's frustrating because it's hard work and people don't understand technology. But but it, I still <laughs> I'm still zealous for it. Um, and I hope it it does some good. So your answer was so much better than mine. I thought we were talking about like what we're doing when we're not doing religion, and you gave this kind of meaningful, beautiful answer. Ah, well, I just <laughs> thought about better. It, it's just it really does fire me up. Um, to work with folks of other faiths to try to do something together. I, I don't know why, yeah. but it does. Yeah, me too, especially when it works and when, and when you can tell that, it, that it's making some sort of difference. Yeah. I love it. Thanks, thanks for doing this. Very we have good. one more episode. Next week will be our final episode of season two. And then Rabbi Eric and I will probably take a break um, and bring back a season three in the new year or something. But um, uh, next week's episode is a, a, another interesting one. I hope y'all will be among us. It's about chosenness. What does it mean to be God's chosen people? And those odd little texts that tend to say... God has chosen certain people over others, against others. Um, how do he and I unpack those? So look forward to that one next week. Fantastic. Shalom. Shalom and keep it real, y'all. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert. And on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.